Since let's talk now about Dante's Sphere of Heaven, Jupiter, Sphere 6, Cantus 18 to 20, Part 2. Quick review, very quickly. Remember that if I can get this to move, the spheres, or excuse me, here we go. The souls in heaven, or excuse me, in the sphere of Jupiter, first form themselves in, excuse me, first form themselves into letters, delicate justitiam qui judicatis terram, which means cherish justice, you who would judge the earth. earth. Then they form themselves, or rather, stay on a stylized M, which looks sort of like a human face, human face with two eyes, forming the letter M-O-O, or O-M-O, which is the medieval Italian word homo, for the Latin word homo, which means man, indicating that the idea of monarchy came from the idea of man, because what is the only creature that has ever existed that has had a king? Man. Of course, and the idea behind the king is not simply dominating ruler, but fair individual who has a higher perspective, who sees his people for whom they are, in order to cater to them appropriately. And that is something only a human can do, because humans are the only creatures that know what's and are bound by what. Our legislature makes these things. What are those things that we have to follow where we say, get sued or go to jail? Laws. Right. And so the foundation of law is the idea of humans, the idea of man, and he who protects and produces those laws in the medieval times would be the king. Of course, in America nowadays, we have a tripartite political system. We have the judiciary, which upholds laws. We have the legislature, which produces the laws. We have the executive branch, which is mostly a symbolic branch, but also sort of acts like a figurehead for our people and has some sort of executive control. They preside over Congress every now and then. The vice president does. Uh, the executive branch is the vice president and the president, and I think also their cabinet. I can't entirely be sure. Something interesting about that, just as sort of a piece of trivia, is I think there are 13 cabinet members. They're the secretaries of the state, secretary of defense, secretary of agriculture, secretary of this and that. Not every single one of them is ever allowed to be in the same place at once. At least one of them is always supposed to be outside of the same building as the others. Can you guess why? What happens if that building in which the entire executive branch gets somehow destroyed? Who will rule the country? Well, after our State of the Union, it would have been Rick Perry. It would have been Rick Perry. He was the one person who was chosen not to see the State of the Union. In any case, so the souls go from letters that form words to a face of man that makes an M, which also stands for monarchy or monarchia in Dante's language and then turns into an eagle. The eagle then speaks to us with one united voice, very much like a king, because a king speaks for himself or for his people. His people, and so a king says, I or we, when he speaks. We, and I made two mistakes yesterday. I asked about, what about with us? We, the people, is the beginning, not of our Declaration of Institute of Independence, but of which document, very important to us, that I have right on my board here. Yes? The Constitution. And so if we, the people, are who speak in our Constitution, who is the king in a democracy? We, the people, are. That's exactly right. Uh, that's exactly right. And I also said that Roland or Orlando was, I believe, an Irish hero. He's a French hero. He's a French hero. His um, grandfather, or excuse me, his uncle, 
supposedly Charlemagne. Charlemagne is a French name. All right, let's move forward. We have to get to the arguments here. That is the juice that we need to squeeze. All right, we started here yesterday. Our question was this. Is the divine justice mirrored in other realms or on Earth? It's a very important question for Dante. What is it that he just found out in the sphere of Mars from his great-great-grandfather, Kachiguita, about his own future? He is going to endure what? Exile. And so his next question seems to be, well, is there fairness in the world? Because if there is fairness in the world and he gets exiled, what must that mean? That he is exiled? What leave? Fairly. Which would potentially be a terrible thing to have to realize. That the punishment you receive, you actually what? Deserve. Yes, yes. Not something that somebody would necessarily uh, want to think, especially if they thought themselves perfectly innocent. And so here's the quote. The eagle answers with one voice. He who drew the with compasses the boundaries of the world and within it ordered so much both hidden and manifest his worth could not so mark itself upon the whole of the universe that his word did not remain in its infinite excess the truth of that you may see by the first of the proud who was the noblest of all creation but could not wait for the light and fell unripe and so it appears that every lesser nature is too small a receptacle for that good which has no end and is its own measure. Therefore, our understanding, which must be no more than a glimmer from that mind of which everything in the universe is full, cannot of its nature be so powerful that what comes from does not see much beyond what is visible to it. And so, in the sympaternal justice, the understanding you have of the world loses itself as the eye does in the sea. We're all San Diegans. You're looking down for the bottom of the sea. You see the first few feet. Do you see the bottom if it's one of the deep parts? Absolutely not. So is the justice of the divine, says Dante. For although near the shore it sees the bottom, in the open sea it does not. Nonetheless, the bottom is there, although the depths hide it. A couple things about this. He who drew with compasses the boundaries of the world. With compasses. What sort of shape do you make with a compass? You make a circle. Very interesting. And drawing the boundaries, this is very, what sort of language? What is the liberal art of Jupiter? Geometry. This is geometric language. The person who laid down the boundaries of the world. Now, for humans, are the boundaries of the world physical or are they legal? Think about what makes your country a country. Has America always been the same size? There were 13 colonies, and then there were like 50 states. Have we always been the same size? No, so our boundaries are what? Physical or legal? legal and so what are the boundaries of the world for humans are they physical boundaries are they ethical legal boundaries are they boundaries on your behavior towards each other you have to act fairly towards each other something to keep in mind next thing his worth could not mark itself upon the whole universe that his word did not remain in infinite access that means even if the world received justice from the divine the world would not represent that justice in all its fullness because it is infinite in scope. Can you represent something that is infinite in an infinite way? No, we have like kind of a crazy uh, horizontal eight that we use, which is called Mobius strip, um, which is a one and a half sided object to represent infinity. Very weird. But of course we don't have it in infinite length. Even if you have a line which is supposed to be an infinite length, do you represent it in a finite way? As in, does it have a finite length? 
Yes, a definite link, as it were. All right, then of uh, reference to Lucifer, first of the proud, even the greatest being ever to have been made by the divine fell unripe because it could not understand the justice of the divine. So can humans understand fully the justice of the divine? No, certainly not. And this seems to be the reason why, though we can slightly glimpse that which is supposed to be true, we cannot see all that is supposed to be true. So it's almost as if Dante's question is just not rightly minded. So just to say what I have written here, the eagle's response means this. Though justice was applied to the world, much of it is hidden to our eyes. And the reason I said that that was yesterday is because what is it we cannot see, though it is a part of our lives? Time. We cannot see time, because which part of time can't you see? The future. You also can't see the what, frankly speaking. Well, it's hard to see the present, because how much of the present do you really see? But you also can't see the what? Because it's already what? Already happened. It's already gone. Right, right, right. And so, insofar as you don't see everything that exists at this precise moment, can't see the moments to come, can't see the moments in the past, can you know everything that's happening and correctly judge everything that's happening? No, the answer is clearly no. Clearly, no. A lot is always happening that you cannot see. Even if you were the smartest person ever to have existed, it would be impossible to see all this. Even Lucifer, greatest being ever, could not understand the divine justice. That seems to be why he fell. He's giving pride to place above all beings. Was not enough. So, well, doesn't look like we're going to be understanding this quite as well. Or, or does not look like we will have the capacity then as beings to understand justice in its fullness insofar as only one being can understand that, and that is the being from which all justice stems, according to Dante. And so, therefore, justice does exist in the world, but we can't understand it, which is sort of a dissatisfying answer, an unsatisfying answer, frankly speaking. Because if justice is in the world, but I don't recognize it, is that the same as there not being justice in the world? Hmm, I suppose, no, not exactly, but it would make for much frustration within this world to have things happen which seemed unfair, even if they happen to be fair in a global sort of way. Hmm. So things which seem unfair happen, like the fall of man, and like Dante's exile. And yet, in some way, somehow, these things are fair. We just cannot see the reason why. And so I guess if something happens, Dante's perspective would be, you need to look for how that is fair. You should spend some good time thinking about why the things in your life happen the way they do. Hmm. Interesting perspective by him. Question two. This is, I think, a very good question. This is a question that we've been asking ever since we saw Virgil and those babies down in limbo in the Inferno. If one has never known Christianity, how can one be judged as evil or bad and condemned to hell? What about the people over in India, Dante asks, the people of the Indus and the, Grand, the Ganges? They've never known Christianity. Their fault for not living as Christians? Should they therefore be consigned to the flames of the eternal abyss because of that? Well, we'll let's see what the eagle has to say on this. For you said, a man is born upon the banks of the Indus. That's over in India, a river, where there is none to tell of Christ and no one to read or write about him. And all his inclination and his actions, as far as human reason sees, are good. 
He is without sin in word or deed. He dies unbaptized and without faith. Where is the justice in condemning him? Is it his fault if he does not believe? 1970 to 78. Good question, I say. Well, the response is this. Now, who are you to set yourself up to judge of matters a thousand miles away with eyes that can hardly see nine inches? The eagle saying, that's not even a good question. You can't even judge the world around you very well. Why are you trying to judge matters thousands of miles away? I would say that that's essentially my perspective for young people, too. People will talk about, how can there be justice in the world when there's exploitation in the Sudan? It's like, maybe you should focus on the exploitation where before you focus on the exploitation in another country far away with people you don't understand. Here, right, in your own local community. Maybe a place where you can actually affect change immediately is the place you should start on first. Maybe it will ripple outward, seems to be Dante's idea. In any case, certainly for anyone who tries to be clever, there is a marvelous subject for questioning. If, if the scripture, Old and New Testament, were not there to set you right. 17, or excuse me, 1979 to 84. And he says, who are you really even to ask this question? Because as what I sing is to you who do not understand it, so is the eternal justice to you mortals. So we again hear the same thing that we heard in the response to the first question. Though there is justice, we don't understand it. So there is an answer to this question, the eagle says. But can we understand the answer? No. Which is uh, unsatisfying or satisfying as a response? Unsatisfying. Pretty unsatisfying. It's sort of like I'll tell you later, right? Or it's like I'll tell you when you're older. <laughs> in any case, no one has ever climbed to this kingdom without belief in Christ, either before or after he was nailed to the cross, 103 to 105, regardless, therefore, of how it seems, only the just, regardless of where they are from or what time, make it to heaven. Trust me, seems to, is what this eagle is saying. And so, moving to Canto 20. The eagle then commands Dante to watch the part of me which sees. The eye. Now we're going to focus in on the eye of the eagle, the most important part of the eagle, and apparently the most important part of a king. Because the most important part of a person who is to judge those around him is to what them for who they really are. See them for who they really are. And so a king has to have his eyes open. This is represented in the Egyptian mythology by Horus, the falcon, with the perspication, perspicacious eyes. And even a more modern reference by Zazu, the eyes of the king Mufasa, and then later Scar, and then later Simba in The Lion King. Zazu is a bird. And so he flies around so that he can what the kingdom and then report about it to the king. See the kingdom and report about it to the king. Very interestingly, Scar keeps him in a cage. What does Scar not want to see? His kingdom for as it really is. And what happens to it? It becomes a dark place full of starvation and suffering. Well... Don't keep your eyes open. What happens to the world around you? Gets better or worse? Worse, of course, of course. All right. Here are the highest ranking among them all, the kings and the just rulers in heaven. And the one top king is in the pupil, the part that focuses the most and or expands, um, the part by which we used to focus. Yes. The other five are around the eyebrow, like souls circling a god in heaven or students circling or learning a concept. Very interesting. So why the eye? 
Well, like I said to you yesterday when I was introducing the idea of a bird of prey or an eagle and its ability or its represent, representative capacity as a symbol for kingship or just rulership, I told you that the medievals believed eagles could stare into the sun without being blinded. This is metaphorically like a man staring into the truth of the divine. We will later, like I said, in Canto 25, at the end of it, 127 to 135, see Dante blinded by trying to look too closely at a truth he is not yet ready to understand, and he will blind himself. Hmm. Eagles, as we know, have excellent sight, therefore they are good symbols for rulers who must be perceptive to understand and govern their people. Um, and then, I've already said, that about Dante blinding himself. Oh, 118 to 123? I thought it was 127 to 135. In any case, we'll find out when we get to Canto 25. All right. Next quote. 25. Oh, yes, this is 118 to 123. I've been saying the wrong 10 lines or 5 lines all along. Like one who gazes and does all he can to see the sun when it is in part eclipsed and by looking, and the end ceases to see it. So did I with this last flame. Until I heard a voice, why did you blind yourself to see something which has no place here? So that's the quote where Dante will be blinded. We'll be talking about that as early as next week. So leaders must shine a light on their people. See them for whom they actually are, like we talked about, which means not just see the good attributes of them, see them for all that they are and can be uh, positively, but also understand the negatives, the errors, the sinful behaviors of them. Because if you're going to govern people or manage people, you have to govern the whole person and understand that uh, people are not in all times and all ways good. Obviously, that's recognized by our own governments because our judicial system, our judges, they often hand down verdicts and sentences to people where they put them in jail. You put people in jail when they have obeyed the laws or disobeyed the laws. Disobeyed the laws, which means that our very government accounts for the fact that we do not always do what? Do good or do the right thing. Precisely so. And we have a just way of dealing with that. And of course, people say the justice system is totally corrupt. That's uh, nonsense, of course. Uh, of course, any institution, to some extent, has corruption involved. Uh, that an institution in that way would be totally corrupt is, of course, nonsense and not... Uh, <laughs> is by no means justified by the statistics that we have, which are the most sophisticated measures of justice that have ever existed. Because statistics, subject to your opinion? Absolutely not, absolutely not. Though it, statistics do require a person to interpret them. They can, be, uh, they can be misinterpreted. But in any case, it's the most objective measure that we've ever had. If we want something better, y'all have to figure it out. You are the future. All right. So the leaders must shine the light. Yes, yes, yes. So who is this king who is in the pupil? Who is this top ruler? Well, his name is King David. And he was a musician, interestingly enough. Funny that Dante would have a musician be the top ruler because what is Dante? Himself a poet. And a poet, well, poets are based on the old job of rhapsode. That's what Homer was. Homer whatted his poems. He sang his poems. So very interesting that a top ruler would be a musician, well, it makes some sense because what is it that musicians produce when they play songs? They produce discord or harmony. harmony. Right, right, right. So it's almost like what a good ruler is, is someone who plays the instrument of the state in order to produce harmony amongst the people. Very interesting. 
that idea. Again, we've been really messing with this notion of different letters form the same word. Different notes work together to form the same song. Different people come together to form the same nation or people. Hmm, interesting, interesting. And so King David, he knows the merit of song. This recalls to us Dante as a poet or singer. It also recalls to us Odysseus. Recall that Odysseus amongst the Phaeacians gave the best piece of meat to Demodocus, singer of the Phaeacians, indicating that what is the most important thing for both a musician and a king to strive towards? Harmony, peace and harmony, precisely so. And this makes a lot of sense given that what was the last sphere focused on? Conflict and discord because Mars is the god of what? War. War. Exactly. Exactly. Very interestingly, just to give you an interesting note, at the end of book five when Ares has just been injured by Diomedes in the Iliad, he goes to complain to Zeus about Athena. Now, of course, Athena is the goddess of wisdom and implements the will of Zeus on earth. Whose side is Zeus going to take? Ares, who produces conflict, or Athena, who does his will? Athena's. And he actually says, you two-faced liar, Ares, argue me nothing about this. Were you not my son, I would long ago have cast you down from Olympus, indicating that Zeus, principle of order and justice in the universe, dislikes what more than anything Conflict and those who produce conflict. Agamemnon, earlier in the text, actually says the exact same thing to Achilleus. Very interesting. Very interesting. And so, if we are going to have peace and harmony, we ourselves have to put an end to conflict and war. Very, very interesting. And this also seems to be why the just rulers are one sphere above those of the holy warriors. It's one thing to fight for that which is meaningful. It's another thing to not have to fight at all by maintaining harmony. <laughs> we do maintain that Octavian Caesar, Augustus Caesar, was such a great ruler precisely because of the Pax Romana that followed his rule. It's about 200 years. I always forget the exact figure. I think it's 207, something like that. In any case, very, very, very impressive. <laughs> Insofar as it was the effect of his own counsel, by the reward, it was proportionate, 20, 41 to 42. The reason David is the top king is not because of his height or his build or his looks or his capacity with the loot, but because, like with Odysseus, of his own what? His own what? Counsel, right? His wisdom. It was his capacity to think and to order things correctly, not to use the stick, as it were. All right, so by the reward it was proportioned. So David's rank comes from his counsel, just like whom? That we know from the Iliad and the Odyssey. Odysseus. He is known for being wise in counsel. In fact, he directly says this to Achilles. He says, You are far stronger than I am, but I am better than you in counsel, wiser. Uh, and then even in the Odyssey, down in the Underworld, Book 11, when he's talking to Achilles, he says, hmm, your son was renowned for valor, and even in council, but he was number three to Nestor and Nice. So, Odysseus, who of course survives the Trojan War, goes down into the Underworld and lives longer than Achilles and achieves more than Achilles, does so because of his ability to think and express his thoughts in an articulate fashion. 
which seems to be, so far as we know, the ultimate ability of humans because A, what other creatures can think rationally, B, what other creatures can put their thoughts into words, and C, can then convey those words and the information within them to other creatures. Like none of them. Your dog, it just does what? Barks, right, which either says, get away, or I'm happy, or I'm hungry right now. And it's like, that's not very sophisticated. You can say, I'm hungry. You can say, I'm happy. You can say, get away from me. And I understand all of that. Very interesting, very interesting. In any case, David Drank comes from his council, just like Odysseus, like a good judge, just like Minos down in the underworld, known to have been a very fair judge himself. The fairest judge, because he assigns people their perfect place in the underworld. And so he's sort of a figure of the divine, an infernal divine. Very like, who is the infernal divine for Haiti? Uh, I'm giving it away. For the Greeks, the Zeus of the underworld, as it were. Hades. Very good. Very good. Idea. And so that also seems to suggest that a good judge just sees the good in you or can assign, understands the bad and the good. Bad and the good. Of course. Of course. And can see things properly. So the idea of proportion and judgment or fairness and setting proper boundaries is what a good ruler uh, embodies. That they, are, they have proportionality in their judgment. And there is a big argument. Uh, there are always arguments in justice or about what justice truly is. This is one of the most powerful arguments. Justice as fairness. Good. All right. The other five kings. We're going to go through these pretty quickly here. So who are they? interesting things about these five kings. They're not all kings, A. Eh? And um, only two of them happen to be Christian, which is a very sort of shocking thing to hear because, well, even though Dante had asked earlier in these cantos whether somebody can make it to heaven if they are just, though they do not know Christianity, the eagle said, well, that question is sort of beyond the scope of your understanding. You can't see it. But in actuality, we see that there are non-Christians in heaven, which seems to mean that people who are not Christian from the time before Christ or from places beyond the scope of Christ can, of course, make it into heaven. So the answer is given sort of implicitly or tacitly rather than verbally. And so here are the five kings. Trajan, Hezekiah of Judah, or I'll give their full names, Emperor Trajan. He was, of course, a pagan Roman. Recall from book, or excuse me, Canto 10 of the Purgatory, that he was the man who helped that widow avenge her son, although he was on the way to a conquest. He was an image of humility in Purgatory. He literally comes down from his horse to be on the level of this woman and takes time out from his day and um, destiny, frankly speaking, to help somebody with what to him must have been a small matter, to her a major matter. King Hezekiah of Judah was Jewish and was a king of Judah. Uh, I forget whether Judah was the southern or the northern kingdom uh, at that time, but Israel was at that time, or the Israelites, as they were once called, were split into two kingdoms for some time, a northern and a southern one, just like Egypt for a good bit of time. Well, he's known to have gotten 15 extra years added to his life because of his justice. Interesting. That almost as if the fairer you are, the longer you live. Hmm. Possibly so, possibly so. If the justice in the world mirrors the justice of the divine, which seems to be what Dante suggests, though we don't understand it. 
Then, of course, Emperor Constantine, who was a Christian Roman. Remember, though, he made a pretty big mistake by Dante's estimation with the donation of Constantine 325 A.D. Um, we heard about that in Inferno 19, 115 to 117. He now knows the evil derived from his good deed is not hurtful to him, although thereby the world is destroyed. That's a very powerful quote, I would say, a very powerful quote. He now knows that the evil derived from his good deed is not hurtful to him, although the world thereby is destroyed. So his evil deed didn't hurt him. Who's it hurt? The entire world. And I did explain to you the concept of a whipping boy, I think, earlier, uh, uh, either a week or two ago. The old idea, and there is a book, I think it's a young adult book called The Whipping Boy, is that if a young prince has a slave next to him, when the prince, and has this slave as sort of a friend, whenever the prince steps out of line, who gets whipped? The royal body of the prince or the slave? The slave. And some young people are like, well, why wouldn't the prince just always misbehave? I think that's sort of an evil question. But... The reason would be, do you want your friend constantly suffering for your wrongs? And so what is that supposed to teach a prince who will one day be a king? That when you make a mistake as a king, who suffers for it? Your people, probably not you as much as them. And that is the case here. Emperor Constantine, did he suffer because of his mistake? No. Does the entire world continue to suffer? Yes, and we do have an expression based on this. The road to blank is paved with blank intentions. Does anybody know this expression? The road to hell is paved with good intentions, which means even if you mean to do good, do you always do good? No, of course not. Of course not. I used to use the example of, have you ever tried to make breakfast for your mom and then totally, totally made a mess in the kitchen that your mom then had to clean up for you and then cause a whole bunch of work for her even though you're trying to do something nice. I see a couple of people shaking their heads. Well, you must be excellent cooks. Very good. All right. All right. Fourth person, William. The Norman William II of Hotville. His reign was marked equally by acts of piety, faith, and justice. But and these are two secular figures that Dante is often harping on. Charles and Frederick are poor substitutes. Charles II of Anjou, who's also the king of uh, Naples, I believe, and Frederick II, king of Sicily. They are both condemned in Paradise 19, 127-135. And then, interestingly enough, and I want to really focus on this eyebrow character, Riffius. Riffius is a friend of Aeneas who died in Troy, sacking book two of Virgil's Aeneid. Perhaps you had special attention drawn to him last year by your teacher. When Aeneas is running about with his friends, Coroibus, Ripius, uh, I think, and a couple other guys as well, trying to fight, fight, fight against these Grecian raiders. Well, all his friends, like all the friends of Odysseus, are eventually what? Killed. Killed. That's the sort of thing that happens when your, your walls are breached and the enemy makes it in. And, of course, the Greeks had ten times more people than the Romans, or excuse me, the Trojans, the, the would-be Romans someday. We get about one line about this guy right before he dies. And Dante is here indicating his extraordinary knowledge of Virgil. He was first among the Teucrians for justice, from Book 2, 573 to 574 of Virgil's Aeneid. Hmm. 
Griffius is a fictional character from a work of literature written by Virgil. A question I used to ask was this. If a fictional character of Virgil's is considered so just that he makes it into heaven, is he himself a figura Virgilius? Is this Riffius supposed to be a substitute for Virgil himself? I think that's a pretty question, but not necessarily a correct question, because Dante himself asks this question. He says, what? I know you just told me I can't understand that some people make it to heaven who don't know anything about Christianity, though somehow they have the faith, even though they existed before Christianity or outside the physical boundaries of its thought. But how is it that Trajan, who is a pagan, and Riffius, who is also a pagan, can be in heaven if they were not Christian? And he doesn't actually even say this. The eagle just sort of reads his mind and can say, I can tell what you're thinking right over there. Sort of like probably your mom or teachers that said, I can see what you're thinking right now. And you're like, no, you can't. And they're like, yes, you can. Legal response. It says, they did not leave their bodies as you think as Gentiles. That means as non-Christians. comes from the word gintum, which means people. But Christians with firm faith in the feet which were to suffer or had suffered. Weird thing here. I'm going to tell you just the weirdest story I know about Riffius. The reason why, and this is from one of the famous notes about this, not from the back of this particular text, but from the Singleton commentary on this. There's a, Charles, a guy named Charles Singleton. He has a six-volume set of the Divine Comedy. Highly recommend that you get that, seeing as you will have read, read it at some point. Very excellent translations. Has the Italian on the left. Those of you who speak Spanish, you'll notice the Italian. Pretty easy for you to understand. Pretty easy for you to understand. In any case, supposedly Pope Gregory like a necromancer, revived Riffius from the dead, resurrected him from the dead, in order to pardon him so that he could die a what? A Christian? That is the actual story that Dante is thinking here. Which I think is very interesting. And yet that said, or excuse me, that was for Trajan. That was for the Emperor Trajan. Sorry, Riffius has a slightly other weird story. Said of Riffius, the other by that grace which mounts up from so deep a, string, a spring that no eye ever pierced so far as to catch sight of the first wave. There's another in reference to the ineffability of God's justice. Put all his love below upon justice. It's based on one line from Virgil. So that from grace to grace, God opened up his eyes to our future redemption. This is very similar to Cato, who put his eyes on justice and committed suicide in order not to live in an unjust state. But my question becomes this. If these two noble pagans made it into heaven, why is it that Virgil didn't? That seems to be what Dante's question really is, right? Because Virgil's the person he really cares about. He doesn't care about Riffius. He doesn't care about Emperor Trajan. He says, how is it that these two people make it up, but Virgil doesn't? And we have to remember what it was that Statius said about Virgil, which was this. He is like one who holds a candle behind him and does great good for those following him, but none for himself. Dante gets a sort of unsatisfying answer, because what is it that he can't see? He can't see the justice in this decision. Why should these two figures be in heaven and not his own teacher? Will he ever get the answer to this? Are there some questions 
we never get the answers to, though we want those answers more than anything. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so even in heaven you can experience what as a mortal? Disappointment? Interesting, interesting. We'll have to think about this some. We'll have to think about this some. Perhaps I'm not fully understanding what is happening here. In any case, let's end... Let's end this with a bang. The three ladies had the effect of a baptism on Rufius. Those three ladies are the three ladies who are, I believe, on the left wheel of the chariot in the top of Purgatory and Terrestrial Paradise. They were, of course, the holy or theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. We'll soon have discourse on those. Cantos 24, 25, 26, when we meet three apostles. And then the conclusion is has an admonition about predestination and the limitations human judgment. I'm going to read it very fast and then the bell is going to ring. Predestination. Oh, how far away is your root from the sight of all those who do not see the primal cause entire? And you mortals, hold yourselves back from giving judgment, for we who see God do not yet know who all the elect are. So nobody knows what's going to happen entirely. Even the angels, even the souls in heaven. And this deficiency is sweet to us because in this good, our own good is refined. And we want whatever is God's will. So to make my limited sight clear, I was given by that divine image this sweet medicine. Not even the souls in heaven know the whole future. Never think that one's fate is absolutely certain. Concludes with an analogy of a singer being accompanied by a gifted lewdness. That is an image of perfect harmony. Is this what teaching with you is supposed to be? All right. We have a quiz tomorrow.